Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. And now to talk about all of those topics, Steve Oaken joining us, the senior advisor, McClarty Associates. Steve, good morning. Great to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, GVZ. How are you? Good. You've got, looks like you got a baseball shirt on. Is that in honor I, of your I, friend? I have, I have my, it's not a Miami Marlins jersey, but I have my Cubs jersey on for, uh, in honor of Kim. Very, very nice. Uh, I can't wait to uh, to see. I should have brought my Cubs hat with me today. I didn't even think about that. But uh, suffice it to say, that's a great story. We're gonna we're gonna close the sec- the session off with that story, which is kind of a feel good. But but let's start off first. We got so many things to talk about, and, and the first thing I think is the um, ASEAN nations meeting. Uh, today and they are going to be approving the RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership deal. Tell us about that deal and why it's a big deal. Well, it's a big deal because there's 15 countries in it. There, the ASEAN 10 plus, uh, you know, the five from from North Asia, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, India dropped out uh, at the last minute. So, look, trade has to work in a in a multi party basis. You know these. Bilateral trade agreements um, do not cover how businesses operate today, where you have global supply chains and, you know, you manufacture different components, you bring them all together and you sell them all over the world. So having these multilateral trade agreements are very important. Um, You know, the U.S., of course, pulled out of the uh, TPP. So that that agreement goes forward, but that only has seven countries in it right now. This one has 15. It's not as comprehensive as the TPP. It doesn't address all of the 21st century business issues. It's silent on key things like labor and the environment, but it is a step forward for businesses here in, in Asia. Uh, the U.S. will be part of it, right? The U.S. is not part of it. Not this part is, of it, excuse me. Not part of it. This was led by, really, you can kind of, led by ASEAN, Japan and China, um, in a way, were kind of the, 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 the starts of it. But of course, Australia played a big role uh, as well. So no, it's the ASEAN plus Japan, Korea, China, Australia, New Zealand. And minus, so, the, again, minus the U.S. <laughs> minus the U.S. and minus India, which dropped out. So this is another you know, defeat for, for U.S. businesses, not part of the TPP, not part of RCEP. Now, those businesses that operate within the, the trade area can take advantage of it. So you could be a U.S. headquartered business so long as you operate solely within the RCEP. Look, it lowers tariffs on like 90 percent of goods. So it is going to increase trade. Uh, it's going to increase the competitive advantage of those countries in it. So it is a very big deal, but it's not as good as the TPP. It's not as comprehensive, but it's better than nothing. That is for sure. Now, if you are a General Motors or a Coca-Cola or some other consumer brand like that, that is a, a global multinational, will this be something that they can be part of or, or not because they're not solely operating within this region? No, no, they can be part of it. So, like, so for example, it doesn't matter who you are. If, let's say you, your supply chain, let's say you manufacture some of your components in China and then you ship them down to Vietnam where you put everything together and then you sell them. Uh, the final goods in Singapore or Thailand, you take full advantage of that agreement. It's not based on the nationality of where your corporate headquarters is. It's are your activities within that trade zone. So again, it's going to make trade easier and flow better in this part of the world. So it's going to increase investment in this part of the world, um, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to the United States or the EU, which which is not part of this agreement or India uh, for that matter. So then uh, let's say 
European companies based in Europe pr- producing in Europe or American companies doing the same in America, when they try to come in, the playing field will not be level for them. They'll have to still pay those tariffs, whereas competitors within this region would not. Is, is that a fair way to s- sum it up? No, that is. And, 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 and that's why India dropped out, because India was afraid that you were going to get a lot of Chinese manufacturing investment into India to then take advantage of India being part of RCEP. So India wants to protect its own markets. And that's the predominant reason why it left. It originally was one of the 16 members of RCEP, which is now down um, to 15. Um, But that doesn't mean others can't join either RCEP or TPP. And in fact, I was on uh, a panel with the Prime Minister of Australia on Friday on the ASEAN Business Investment Summit. And he said, look, we hope TPP will have the UK to be a part of it. We hope the US will consider coming back uh, under a Biden administration. So this is a start. It's not the end, but it shows where the world is headed. That's for sure. We saw in 2016, uh, famously, uh, Secretary at that time, Secretary Clinton was uh, was for TPP before she was against it uh, and mostly owning to, I think, pressure probably from unions and others in the U.S. because there was so much, I think, misunderstanding about what TPP would do, actually, the benefits for the U.S. Is it possible, as you look into your crystal ball, uh, how would it be possible for a Biden administration to now then reverse track and be in favor of TPP? Is that a possibility? Well, I, yes, but with a couple of, of with one huge caveat or two huge caveats on it. One, I think the understanding of TPP has changed. This is not only a trade agreement for the United States. This is a way to work with U.S. allies, work with those who are open to a free and fair trading system that levels the playing field, especially when it comes to SOEs. Uh, in China, especially when it comes to protecting intellectual property rights. And so this was not just about ease of of business. This was about having a competition with China in which the U.S. and others would have an advantage. So I think that geopolitical understanding has changed in the United States. That said, the TPP was negotiated, began to be negotiated five years ago. It's going to need to be updated on labor. It's going to need to be updated on the environment. It's going to be needed to to be updated on certain sectors like autos. So the U.S. isn't just going to come back. It's going to have to be a renegotiation. Who knows if that can work? But I think the prospects are better now, mainly because of the geopolitical understanding of TPP and where it fits within the U.S.-China frame. You said the TPP was... uh started to be negotiated five years ago. You meant 15 years ago, right? <laughs> well, no, I mean, well the, the actual negotiations started about 2015 with, 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 with the, the four original countries, including Singapore, and when the U.S. came to the table. But RCEP was a, was, was a, a long haul as well. These yeah. things take a while. Yeah, interesting. Uh, that, that is something we'll keep an eye on, and we'll see what uh, the future administration will look at when they, when they do look at that. Uh, let's, go, let's go to the U.S. and talk about um, – uh, the election breakdown where we're at now. Now, uh, Pennsylvania just uh, had confirmed this past week uh, its electoral votes for Joe Biden as the winner there. What else do we know about where we're standing in the electoral count? Well, Georgia has as well. So it looks like we're at 306 for Joe Biden, which is the same exact 
self-described landslide Donald Trump won by in, you know, in 2016. So every lawsuit that the, that the Trump campaign has brought, they have lost. They, they have all of these baseless claims on voter fraud. None of them have been proven. We're now almost two weeks past the election. They still haven't brought forward any evidence. There's no reason to believe they will be successful in any of their lawsuits. There's no reason to believe they're going to be successful in convincing states to ignore the will of their voters and try and frankly, steal the election in the in the Electoral College. So really now it's just a matter of time until until reality hits. Whether Donald Trump will formally concede or not is irrelevant, frankly. Joe Biden's going to be sworn in as, as president on January 20th in Washington. And so it's just a matter of how ugly is it going to be? How much you know pain are we going to go through? How much more division can we sow between you know, supporters of Donald Trump and, and those who, who voted for Joe Biden? And can we have an efficient and effective transition process? All those are open questions, but we know how the story is going to end. All, all, all over, though, we have these some of these stop the steal, so-called stop the steal rallies happening in Facebook uh, groups starting up. And, and the administration is, is doing a very effective job, a very Roger Stone uh, style effective job in in sowing doubt, at least among Trump supporters, is it not? Well, my favorite headline today, you know, today in Washington, they had a, a million MAGA march where there are going to be millions of people coming to Washington, D.C. to protest the fraud and, and the, the stolen election, allegedly, that occurred. And, and the headline in one of the conservative publications in the U.S. was thousands show up at million MAGA march. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's a, it's it's fading. It's fading. I think his supporters are saying, hey, look, we lost. We've got to fight again. We've got to you know, we've got the battle in Georgia coming up as to who's going to control the Senate. So we've got to move forward. And and so I think even some of his supporters are, are recognizing that now. And, and and President Trump almost kind of sort of recognized it in a White House event he did about what's going to happen with COVID and if there's going to be lockdowns, um, you know, in, in the future. And he even hinted that it's not a certain thing that his administration will be in charge come January. Yeah, we, we've seen uh, a number of stories already. Normally at this time in the transition, the incoming administration would already be working with government departments and and, diff- and other people getting security briefings, things like that, to get the new person, if there is a new person coming into the job, up to speed. It's my understanding that much of that has not taken place and or some of these government departments are kind of doing it uh, on the sly, if you will, not making a big noise about it because uh, they don't want to invoke the wrath of the president. Uh, what's your understanding of where we're at with First of all, what should be happening with the transition and what's actually happening right now? Well, none of it is happening formally. I mean, the 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 federal government, when a victor has been ascertained, is supposed to issue a a, a, basically a declaration. And then that opens up uh, the U.S. government to meet with the incoming team during this transition period, because you're right, because, you know, what's going on in terms of government policy? Let's see all of your records that you have done over the past four years. Let's meet and discuss what you have in the pipeline so we know what's going forward. From a national security perspective, critical that that the president-elect be getting, you know, the national security brief so that when he comes to the Oval Office on day one, he knows all of the threats and challenges out there to the United States. None of that is happening. It is a real problem. Now, the Biden administration knew this was a possibility, so they have planned for it. They have a 
They're funding the transition team through donations as opposed to the federal government. There's a lot of experience there. I mean, I've seen the transition team list and you have people from the Obama administration. You have people from the Clinton administration on it. So this is going to be a professional operation, but it still is going to be hindered because of the Trump administration refusing to to accept reality. During one of his speeches, the president sort of alluded to or or maybe it was a slip of the tongue or something, but basically uh, kind of nearly acknowledged that there would be a change in leadership. (laughs) What what happened there and what what implication, if any, does that particular uh, statement that he made have? Yeah, well, I don't think he's softening on his stance. I think his, you know, reality is going to hit him in the face that he's not going to be president come January 20th, because what you're going to the, the way the process works is you're going to have states start to certify um, the, the official vote. I think the first one in a swing state is November 20th and then November 23rd and, and, and on down the line. They've lost all the lawsuits to stop that. So once that process starts and then eventually gets to the Electoral College in, in December, it's over. So, so he he knows he has to know it's coming, and he should be pivoting now to figure, to figure out, out what, what is it he's going to do. do. And Steve, let's finish off one last uh, one last story, which is a, a, a great story. The first Asian American woman now as a general manager of a, a pro baseball team in the U.S. happens to be a friend of yours. Talk to us about that. Yeah, no, it, Kim Ang and is, is and I were both. Um, fellows from the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, um, the Young Leaders Forum. We were both younger, of course, when, since we're both in our 50s now when, when, when we joined that. And, um, you know, she is great. I, I mean, she is so smart and, you know, so determined. Uh, and she has been so successful, yet she never got that general manager position. She's won three World Series rings. In, in, in her 21 years in baseball, she's worked in the front office, yet every time she interviewed uh, she got rejected um, for, for that general manager position. And so finally now, you know, the, the Marlins down in Miami, uh, led by Derek Jeter, have hired her. So it is just great to see the progress that baseball is making, but also from a, a personal perspective to see, you know, a friend of mine, somebody I've gone to baseball games with and, and have had dinners with, um, get this opportunity is just such great, great news. That's great. She's been with the White Sox, the New York Yankees, the Dodgers, and now with the Marlins, uh, those are some, you know, those are some good teams that she's been with, some high-profile teams over the years. Actually, no, she's been very successful. And look, she's, and she's very smart. You know, she went to the University of Chicago. She played softball there. So she, you combine with her knowledge of the game, having been an athlete, having played, in addition to the analytical side of things, which is, you know, which is what baseball is so focused on now. She brings all of that together. And you know, I've, I've always, you know, I asked her, you know, when she kept getting, you know, turned down for these jobs, you know, what was it like? She's like, you know, I'm just I'm determined and I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep growing. She's had a lot of focus on international, which I think is is very important as well. International expansion. Um, she took the Dodgers, helped take the Dodgers to Australia for, for a tour a while back. Um, so it really is, you know, she's bringing the international piece. She's bringing the community relations piece. That, that's something that her unique skill sets can do, especially with her background, uh, you know, as an Asian American. So it's just wonderful news. You know, I, I, I sent her a, an email just yesterday congratulating her, never expecting to hear back because Michelle Obama is congratulating her. So I'm sure my email <laughs> on her, you know, but she just sent, you know, sent a nice note back. Thanks. You know, thanks, Steve. Great to hear from you. So I'm just so happy for, for Kim 
for baseball, for its for its global expansion, that, you know, even in all of these troubled times, you can still see the world going in the right direction. Steve, you're clearly a player. You're you're clearly a contender. <laughs> if you've got her replying to you at the same time, she's replying to Michelle Obama. <laughs> that, that's, that's how nice she is. She is just a nice person in addition to being smart and hardworking and determined in, in everything else. So just so happy. For listeners who aren't familiar with the uh, importance of the general manager position, frame that for us on a baseball team. Well, it, I mean, it's really the person who, who has to make all of the organizational decisions. Obviously you work with the, you know, you know, with, with the owners and you work with the field manager, but how do you put all of it together? How do you, you know, who do you bring in? How do you work your salary cap? How, who do you trade? When do you trade them? What are all of the, the directions you want to go in strategically as a team? And so it's really the, the most important job um, in a way. And if you're a successful general manager, you tend to bring that success with you from team to team. So like the person who was the Cubs, you know, my team, the general manager there who won a World Series, they won a World, World, World Series with the Red Sox. I mean, these people tend to be very special in how they do this. And the general manager of the Dodgers goes to the you know, playoffs and won the World Series over and over and over again where they, they do this. Kim now gets her chance um, to do that. And I'm, I'm I really excited to see how successful she is going to be and that she's a, you know, a trailblazer. Um, and, and hopefully she will open the door, not just in baseball, but for other major sports in, in the United States and the world to have women running a team, running a professional sports team. Kim Ng, now the first woman and Asian American to uh, lead baseball operations, uh, general manager for the Miami Marlins, and a friend of Steve Oaken's. So, <laughs> Steve, thanks so much for your time today. As always, great information, and uh, uh, look forward to talking with you next week. Well, thanks for, thanks for being my friend too. <laughs> thanks, Steve. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.